This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, round two, fight. As we look at the National Biffo League, Ben Stokes really oversteps the mark. Regularly. As the first Ashes test goes to Australia, and fair bump, play on as Sam Kerr puts a pitch invader on his ass. Let's go. It's 8.27pm Western Australian Standard Time on Tuesday, the 14th of December, 2021. And yes, we did fly pretty close to the sun with the title this week, but it's true and accurate and I dare say appropriate, given we've had people getting in trouble for swearing and all sorts of carry-on this week. Now, we will get there. Cricket already lends itself arguably to more double entendres than any other sport, I would say. Don't you agree with that one? Oui, oui, Frenchie. <laughs> It's just exacerbated by some of the players' names in this year's Ashes series as we're used to the title. But we'll get to that all eventually. First, as always, Chewie, we'll call your attention and what'd you miss? Well, before we get to that, Nathan, oh. first things first. Okay. Happy NBA Jersey Day. Yes, indeed. Yes, yes. I see you've got your Timmy Duncan. I've got my Timmy Duncan that I bought at the Perth Royal Show many moons ago. There we go. I've decided to go for Steve Nash in honour of Dallas's win today against Charlotte. Oh, there I was thinking it was Chris Anstey. Yeah. He a- would have won 13 with Dallas, I He think. did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Quite often when I see the uh, the Joachim Noahs, the number 13 ah, in Chicago, yeah, okay. I think, oh, Luke Longley, that'd yes, be Yes, true, true. Anyway, a couple of things that caught my attention this week. One of the coolest traditions I've ever seen. Every single Christmas, Real Betis, who are currently third in the La Liga table, have their fans bring in stuffed toys and throw them onto the pitch so that disadvantaged children can have something nice oh, for Christmas. Oh, that's magnificent. What a beautiful story. That is a beautiful story. Right? A bit unlike me, isn't it? Usually, well, <laughs> yeah. Usually I try and scrape the bottom of the barrel, but no, I saw well, that. We did kick off with a pretty racy title. So we did. It's a good way to clean it up a little we bit. Did. We probably should have changed it to teddy bears in wherever Real Betis are from. I'm guessing Madrid or something. No, well, not Real Jerome Betis, but uh, yes. yeah. And in sticking with soccer, the other thing that caught my attention was Sammy Kerr. Oh, yes, it was on my list too. So the hip and shoulder. She, magnificent. She's absolutely destroyed a pitch invader. So Chelsea was taking on Juventus in the Champions League. And yeah, this guy's come on trying to take photos with some of the players and she has laid him out. As she should have. And she got a yellow card. I know. It's outrageous. Is, okay, well, that, there you go. It's fucking outrageous. Isn't like, it? seriously, he would have wandered around untouched for ages if she hadn't done that. He was he, he was just running roughshod over the whole, making a mockery of the situation. Good on her, I say. Yeah. And bad on the ref. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I think fair play. Like, as soon as you're on that pitch, you are absolutely fair game. Yeah. Yeah. And if someone like Sam Kerr can put you on your ass with a hip and shoulder, that's where you deserve to be. If, if you're a pitch invader, you're a potential danger to players and staff, including referees and the lines people. Good on her. Especially in COVID times. Yeah, yeah, no, terrible. So yeah, understand her frustration. I, I just, yeah, I can't believe how cleanly she hit this bloke. Oh, it was magnificent, wasn't it? And yeah, as you say, disappointing. I, I say red card to the umpire. Yep, amen. How about yourself, mate? Well, I did have that on the list. Also, I've noticed that Serena Williams is out of the Australian Open. It's going to get harder and harder to beat that Margaret Court she's record. Done. She is done. I don't know if she's done, but I'll tell you what, the margin for error gets smaller and smaller. She's 40. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You, well, you, she's still good, though. She's but... still very good, but two solid weeks yeah, against yeah. the talent that there is. Not just the seeded players. We've seen how many unseeded players run the gauntlet. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I think she's done. It's true. Uh, the other thing that caught my attention was Mimi Zhang, Australia's 13th overall ranked competitive eater overall and first ranked female. <laughs> you saw this as well on news.com today. No, no oh. but it's just hilarious. Uh, she plans on going to the big leagues to compete in the States. Do you know some of those blokes like Joey Chestnut and stuff are worth over $2 million. 
from competitive eating. Almost surprised it's that little. Oh. Because the amount of endorsements that come from that. The five foot two Queenslander once ate 10 meat pies in five minutes. She's also managed 16 hot dogs in 10 minutes and also a two kilogram steak in 10 minutes on occasion. So 10 minutes is her sweet spot then. Yep. Anything more than that, she's done. Well, I don't no, know. I, but I respect that. I, she is tiny. It's I incredible. Would, honestly, I would struggle to get through probably oh, maybe two or three pies in that time. Maybe squeeze out, but after a while. Five minutes? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry. In five minutes, yeah. Yeah. No, maybe, maybe a couple. Yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't eat fast at the best of times. <laughs> I do eat fast, but, geez, I'll tell you what. Yeah, that's what caught my attention. Yeah, What'd you miss, mate? Well, unfortunately, I missed a lot of NBL this weekend. It doesn't seem to matter what I do right now. She just keeps getting organised when the NBL is on. I don't well, know what it is. You do have two kids. It's hard. Yeah, but it's just frustrating. Yeah. All I want to do is just sit down on the weekend, put the feet up, and just relax. <sighs> well, I've got you covered. I saw all but one game, the what was said to be a very woeful Tasmania versus Cairns matchup. I selectively missed that one. I knew I wasn't going to get through them all. So I'm like, which one won't I do? That'll be the one. Mm. So, yeah. It's pretty bad when Scott Roth describes it as going to the dentist to get a cavity without Novocaine. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and he coached one of the teams in the game. <laughs> he's great value. He is great Roth. value. Yeah, no, he's good. What did you miss, mate? Well... I didn't get to see a hell of a lot of the Ashes. And this is kind of the nature of the beast with the Australian summer is that I'm often at work in, well, during the weekdays I'm at work. So I listened to a lot. I listened to a lot of the coverage on Grandstand, but I didn't get to see a hell of a lot because it was wrapped up by what? 11 a.m. Perth time on Saturday, maybe even earlier. Mm. So I hardly got to see any at all because of course I was up really late the night before watching the NBL. So, you I must know, admit, swings did, and roundabouts. I did think all through that morning, I'm like, Nathan's not going to see any of this. No, well, yeah, I didn't see much. I didn't see much. I, I saw highlights and this, that and the other, but... I nearly called you, but I was like, nah, it's, it's a Saturday. It's sacrilege. <laughs> well, I was up till 4.15 watching basketball on Friday night, so... There you go. Yes, yes. Well, Stewie, we know where our bread's buttered, so we'll start with the NBL once again this week, given we've attracted some new listeners. Welcome to everyone listening, no matter what you're into or where you're from. It was a round of fights and fracas. There was some players answering critics, and there were old faces in new places. McVeigh against the 36ers, Wetzel against Southeast Melbourne, Law against Brisbane. Hell, even Gorge coached against his old team, who he led to a three-peat. They have a retired banner hanging in the rafters for him, of all things, which is kind of weird. It is a bit. But where do we start? I mean, I guess the obvious place to start is the game of the season so far. Yes, and luckily you did get to see it, given you didn't get to see yes. them all, but you saw this one. I was never going to miss Perth, no, that's fair for enough. sure. Fair enough. But no, Brisbane 97 defeats Perth 94 in double overtime. What a cracker of a game. Absolutely it was. And I don't know about you, but I'm not even mad that Brisbane won. No, no, Brisbane deserved to win. Like, as a, I don't want to say one-eyed Wildcat supporter, I always want us to win. Oh, of course. But absolutely, Brisbane deserved to win this game. Yep. No, I have no problems. Perth had their chances. They had their chances in regulation. They really have no one to blame but themselves. Brisbane played magnificently. Uh, Franks, he's turned to be quite a find, hasn't he? He has. He has. Sobey was excellent. Kadee hit a massive three at one point. And, of course... Patterson dominated too when when he needed to. So I, I was amazed to see he had 27 at the end. This was one of those games where it felt like Brisbane were letting the game get away from them probably a couple of times. Like after the initial onslaught from Brisbane, Perth goes on this 16-0 run. Yeah, so I think Brisbane started, what, 7-0 or something? Or 9-0? 9-2. 9-2, yeah. Nine, it was 9 nothing at one stage, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so you kind of thought, oh, you know, 16-0 run, it just feels like the offense is starting to flow now for Perth. Probably going to run away from them. 
And then again in the third quarter, it felt like it was slipping away. And I, and I said to myself, I caught myself saying, gee, this is a moment for Lamar Patterson. Well, he answered. He answered that bell. He absolutely did. Threes on three consecutive plays. Yep. Dragged Brisbane back into this game. And as you say, he is the main reason that they win the game. Rebounding as well was huge. So I think Brisbane won the rebound count by about plus 10. And that, that was massive. I'll tell you what, though, they missed a lot of shots around the rim. If they'd lost, that would have been the reason. But uh, they did enough. Well, I think it's the offensive rebounding. You, you kind of yeah, touch on the rebounding side of things. Look, Perth pulled down 17 offensive rebounds, which is a massive number. But Brizzy pulled down 24. Well, it was double OT. So there were 10 extra minutes of play. Even so, though, yeah, yeah. that is a lot. Even if you look at just in the regulation, they were probably sitting around 18, which is still a huge number. And the big thing with those offensive rebounds is a lot of them led to putbacks, just yep. little tip-ins off the, you know, off the iron. And that is huge in an overtime that was very tense, very nervous. I'll kind of run through the overtime in a minute. Even Lou was really good, I thought. And again, just an example of Perth struggling against big guys. The massive seven foot five bloke gave them some valuable minutes. Okay, it was slightly less than 10 minutes, but picked up some boards, did some good things, I thought. Well, this is the thing. I think while Perth is down a big man, and look, Hodgson, okay, yes, he's a foul machine. He will probably foul out fairly quickly, but the time that he gives you is still oh, very, very crucial. Yeah. yeah. He's, so, he's a very, he's a, he's, well, he's a starting center. It's, it's hard missing a starting center. So we've kind of touched on, I guess, who was big for the Brisbane Bullets. On the Aside from Lou. Well, aside from Lou, that's very Physically true. big? Yes. Sorry, too easy. <laughs> I'd say low-hanging fruit, but it's a long way. Yes, yes. But on the flip side for Perth, it's kind of, I don't know, is it as simple as Bryce Cotton just not hitting shots? Five of 23. You probably won't ever see him shoot those figures again. I think he was he was on only about, what, seven points, nine points, pretty late in the fourth. Mm. So he did well to end up on 19. And he did hit some big shots. Vic Law hit more big shots down the stretch. But yeah, he hasn't started superbly well to the He season. hasn't. Even that 31-point game, as you mentioned when we recorded, was on a very poor shooting percentage. Yep. So yep. he's taking a lot of shots. The flex offense not being there is probably making the shots he's taking a little bit harder. But geez, there were a lot of wide open ones as well that he would hit probably seven, eight times out of 10. Just a really rare, poor, poor shooting night for Cotton. And it was kind of weird looking at some of the substitution patterns. So like Kyle Zunich, for example, played 14 minutes for the game. Didn't actually appear in the game after the 547 mark of the third quarter. So I wouldn't have been surprised if you told me he didn't play after halftime. So well, there you go. That was what I thought initially. And then I went back and had oh, another okay. look and he was in there for the first sort of five and a half minutes of the third quarter, but he never reappeared. Then again, we don't see Corey Shervel. I don't understand what he's done, but he doesn't seem to be able to get any sort he's of time. He's just not in favour, yeah. Yeah, yep. Oliver Hayes-Brown only played a handful of minutes. so But was very good in those minutes. Well, he was, and that's what I don't understand. He, he's a big body. We need big bodies against those guys to take rebounds, and I don't know. It's just There might just be a lack of trust in, in these sort of close games. I'm not sure. Blanchfield was great in his return, though, wasn't he? 14 points on five of nine. Also chipped in with four boards and a couple of assists so he was very good jesse wagstaff was excellent too i thought yeah well i thought the rust for blanchfield would have been a lot worse than that he definitely shot the ball well early kind of cooled off a little bit late but that's going to happen the conditioning's not there and yeah jesse wagstaff was great but what i wanted to kind of discuss with you was the lack of poise from the wildcats across the two overtimes so i'm going to run you through the shots of each overtime now in the first overtime travis missed three cotton missed three wagstaff missed three Cotton made three, Travers missed layup, Cotton missed three, Law made three, 
Law made jump shot. Law missed three. Cotton missed three. Wow, that's a lot. Of, I mean, I remember watching, thinking there were a lot of threes. And I'm worried that Travers is falling in love with the three. It's almost like what happened with Giddy last year. It's almost as if the, the management said to him, mate, you need to prove you have range to the scouts. you got to launch a few more threes. I don't know if it's good. Well, I'll talk about him in a bit, actually, because I, I have an interesting take on Luke Travers. So eight of those 10 shots in overtime with three-pointers. Yeah. Which is not great. No. The second overtime wasn't much better. Cotton missed three. Law made jump shot. Law made three. Law made jump shot. Law missed three. Law missed jump shot. Law made three. Cotton missed three. Cotton and Law, the only ones to take a shot. Five out of eight of those shots were threes. Yeah, well. So really not great. And I mean, and Law had a great game. 29 points on 12 of 22. And particularly that second overtime, it was magnificent. But yeah, that's a lot of threes. You're right. There were periods where the execution was poor. They were just launching. It was. Yeah. And then if you look at what happened with Brisbane, you've got Nathan Sobey basically getting involved in pick and rolls, coming downhill, attacking the basket, getting layups. Okay, yes, they made their fair share of outside shots, but there was only one shot taken from inside about probably 15 feet in both of those overtimes, and that was a missed layout. Mm. Wow. It's poor. Yeah, well, It's nothing short of poor. Yeah, yeah, and interesting. And that, that is the sort of play calling that is just not going to work in this league. I mean, it's a big league. You've got to get in there and you know, challenge the bigs. Well, you've just got to keep the defence guessing too you can't be too predictable so you've got to mix it up a bit okay yeah three's worth more than two but you can't just keep launching and well they're only worth more than two if you're making them. yeah well that's true i mean what was cotton, what was cotton from outside like three of 16 or something bang on three of 16 yeah that's that's ugly it gets to a point where you've got to start looking for other options whether it's the mid-range whether it's getting to the basket and he can get to the basket he, he had a lovely layup at one point where he just took it to the rack yeah absolutely yeah. now I did want to deliver an unpopular opinion on Luke Travers. I don't buy the hype of him being an NBA player. Wow. I really don't. Yes, he's athletic. Yes, he defends really well. But the guy can't shoot a lick. And I've watched Andre Robeson for years jacking up threes for Oklahoma City. And players like that just don't cut the mustard in the NBA anymore. You have to be able to spread the floor. And he doesn't do that. I saw, did you see he passed up a wide open three in the first overtime because he just missed one? Oh, I know, and that's one of the threes that I would have been okay with him taking as well, ironically. Uh, I think I think you're a bit harsh. I think it, the fact that he's a bit of a Swiss Army knife means that he should still be able to contribute to an NBA team. I do think that, okay, he's maybe not a lottery guy and he's maybe not Josh Giddy, but I, I think he could, he could make the NBA. I think to be the sort of player that he is, you have to have the talent level of a Ben Simmons to get away in the NBA with not being able to shoot. And shit, we've even seen what happens when he doesn't shoot. Oh, yeah. Look, yeah, it's it's a massive skill that is very, very important in that league. I I don't know. I'm not giving up on him. He's only 19. Oh, I mean, I'm not so much giving up on him, but I just, I look at some of the other guys. Okay, let's look at some of the other bigs that are in there. Lamar Patterson, what did he do over the weekend? Dominated. Mitch Creek, dominated. Robert Franks in this one had 21 and 12, so it was pretty bloody good for them too. Yeah, so for me, there's a lot of guys that are ahead of him on the list. I, I just, I don't know, I just worry that the hype is too big and I just don't know that he is quite ready for that. I Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think it's it, it's curious that they've been wanting to play him at point a bit and, and we noted that in the semifinals against Illawarra with all the injuries, he was playing a bit of point. I don't think that's his right position. I think he should be an Andre Kirilenko, small forward kind of Swiss Army knife kind of player. 
But you're right. You do need to be able to shoot. I, I think it will, he'll improve. He'll improve. Even Andre Kirilenko was a 31% shooter from three in his career. So he needs to get to a level with that shot where he's comfortable and can make them. I just And yes, Shui's good, but he did check no, did, He's not that, that good, yeah, but he not, off the top of his not head. Not quite that good. <laughs> I, I would have thought low 30s. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought anything better than that. But yeah, anyway, look, time will tell. Time will tell. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of backlash from that. But oh, look. Well, I, I, just, I mean, your your point is a sound one. I just don't know if if he surely he'll improve. Oh, you would hope so, but yeah. I just think at this stage the hype is too high. Yeah, oh, interesting. Anyway, speaking of hype, damn, we had some hype over the weekend. We sure did. Yeah, plenty of uh, well, the, those in the camp of any publicity is good publicity would have liked the two fights that ensued. Well, fights. I don't know if we call them fights. Fracker bust up. Yeah, they were interesting. They were, they were, they were a bit spicy. And they definitely weren't contrived. You could tell that it was legit feelings were involved. <laughs> well, when you're talking about the two games, you've got Illawarra and Sydney who hate each other. Yep, and there was a lot of chatter before we talked about the Spygate stuff and all sorts. And then you've got Melbourne and South East Melbourne who hate each other. Yes. So you couldn't... Yeah, they even that. hate the courtside announcers from each other's team, apparently. Yes, well, we'll have to talk about that. But we'll, we'll go in chronological order in these two games. So Illawarra 92 defeats Sydney 84. Angus Glover and Sam Froling, that was kind of the matchup at the end. So Froling has had an absolutely massive block on Angus Glover in the last few seconds. Glover then, for some reason, drops a knee into Froling's face and a shoving match ensues. Yes, indeed. Yes. Now, I don't know if Froling said something, but yeah, it could just be sheer frustration. What do you make of this? Well, oh, and plus Sydney were losing as well and, and were probably looking destined to lose as well. So no doubt the Kings players would have been a bit annoyed about that. Yeah, oh, look, I don't know. I, I don't... I kind of feel like it's good for the game, both dust-ups, really. I mean, I think you don't drop an E into a bloke. That's not very nice. Is, but, it, is uh, that a suspension for you? I'll tell you what, it was funny watching the refs pull blokes off piles as well in both in both games. Oh, I don't know. I... It was untidy, but I don't think it was suspension-worthy, personally. I kind of disagree. Okay. I don't think it's a good look for the game. Oh, it's not. But, it, I, yeah, like, I don't know. I love the passion. I'm someone who doesn't take losing well at all, so I get it. But just, you've got to move on. Yeah. You, you've, unless he said something very, very derogatory, I don't see, I, I just don't see a need or a reason for this. I personally think either a fairly hefty fine or a one-game suspension. I'm not saying go over the top and yeah. rub him out for half the season. I didn't think the contact was that bad. I think you give him a reprimand, give him a slap on the wrist and say, thanks for drawing attention to our game. Thanks for doing it on a Sunday <laughs> when it's on Channel 10. Yeah, look, it's it's a shame as well because it overshadowed what was a very good game, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, good to see Wani get a start. He got the first bucket of the game as well. It's got to be said again, Sydney, woefully undermanned. RJ Hunter are late scratching. So they actually did pretty well to stay in this contest, given the blokes they have. Some pretty big guys out. Well, you can add Jordan Hunter, Jalen Adams. Vasiljevic is still out as well. Yep. So yep. four incredibly important pieces. And two team. imports. Yes. So, yeah. It seems to me that the Kings executed really poorly down the stretch again, which is... Hopefully not habit forming. Well, again, you won't really know how to judge this team properly until they've played. Yeah. Like like yeah. so many teams, and we'll talk about the injuries in a bit. But like so many teams, they don't have their full roster, so we don't know what they're going to be just yet. A couple of other notes I had: Antonius Cleveland is very dangerous downhill, open court or not. Like the commentators were talking about him in transition, but it's not just transition. When he's got a head of steam and he's running downhill, he is very difficult to stop. The other thing I noted is that Rattan Mays seems to be playing kind of a Lou Williams-y kind of role. 
bit of a microwave off the bench. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, and, and we'll play that role very well for them by the looks of things. So so there's a couple of things for me. Firstly, you mentioned it before, Duop Reith. Oh, you got your first look at him? Absolute MVP candidate. Yep. 27.7 boards. He's a beast. He dominated. There was one particular play where an offensive rebound came to him. He basically held off a player with one hand, caught the ball in the other, went up strong with the two hands and threw it down. And that just... Pretty. That, that basically wrestled a lot of the momentum away in what was, I think, a three-point game at the time. And he's just so smooth, isn't he? Like, he's got a good handle. He makes good decisions. He, he's got fluid motion. How's this? So they were showing the MVP odds before the Wildcats-Brisbane game. Bryce Cotton, 550. Tyler Harvey, 750. Xavier Mumford, 850. Scott Machado, 10. Scott Machado? What? Who's going to waste their money on that? Jalen Adams, 12. Vic Law, 12. Reef nowhere to be seen. Jeez, mm. I'm tempted. To, I'm not a betting man, but yeah, I'll tell you what. Good money. Yeah. The only thing that might sort of hurt that bet is that he'd probably end up in the NBA in the next couple of months. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. So, we, yeah, we talked about who could be this season's Cam Oliver. It could well be Reef. And the commentators did say, Illawarra fans, don't get too attached to this bloke because he might not be around very long. America will call. Well, you mentioned the smoothness. I mean, obviously, the, the step-back threes, there was one move where he sort of drove towards the lane, little step-back fadeaway from about 16 feet. And for a guy that tall, he's got a lovely handle. He does. He has a really nice handle. Here's my question. Is he better than Jock Landau? Oh, slight, I mean, slightly different. Landau... They're not They're not an identical player, but yeah, now Landau's Land- probably a better rim defender from what I've seen, but I, admittedly, I haven't seen yeah. as much, Reith. Landau's more of a catch-and-shoot sort of guy. Doesn't do a whole heap off the dribble unless it's sort of no. power dribble into the lane for yeah. a hook shot, which very is rarely he'll very, use very proficient with. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, look, they're both incredible players. I think they both have the ability to play in the NBA. I do want to also talk about Antonius Cleveland. You mentioned before about his ability coming downhill. He's a defensive beast. Yeah, oh, they they look really dangerous. They look so switched on the Hawks. So He's, five steals and two blocks to go with his 19 points. Wow, seven boards. wow, five steals. Yeah, we're well, right. It's Five is not a number you see that often. No, in no, that's... that's- Elite. So this is the thing. Like their imports are playing at a very high level, and really, we're not even seeing the best of Tyler Hart. Oh, right definitely now. not. No, that's the scary thing. Yeah, he's so, the, he's the only cog in that wheel that's not turning properly. Mm. Yeah, no. So certainly, they still have room to improve, which is very very scary. One thing I will say though that I do worry about with the Hawks, it's a little bit of a worry about their bench. As you mentioned, Rattan Mays has been superb in the first couple of games. But other than him, no one on their bench played more than 10 minutes in this game. Yeah, but they're there if they're needed. So I actually think Gorge has got the balance. By the way, 800th game across playing and coaching in the NBL, which is an incredible achievement when you think he was actually out of the league for several seasons. Mm. I don't know. No, I think I think he's got it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I've got big wraps for them. I think he's got it pretty well sorted. And if guys get injured, just bump up their minutes. Yes, there are guys like Dan Greeter who are the odd man out. But Okay, so Emmett Nas not playing at all. AJ Ogilvy played five minutes. Tim Conrad played two. I think their bench is very, very thin once you get... So let's say, for example... It's amazing Conrad's still playing. He was an injury replacement out of retirement. And he's gone, uh, actually, okay, no, I'll stay out yeah, of retirement. That's check. bizarre, yeah. But if, if Duarte Reith goes to the NBA and one of either Harvey or Cleveland gets injured, there could be a very steep drop-off. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you you, you apply that to any team losing one of their two of, best of course, players. Of course, but... I would like to think that there are a lot of teams out there. So if you look at, say, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, if you look at the Wildcats, if you look at a full-strength Sydney Kings, 
these guys have a much deeper bench, and and it just I, I, it just yeah. I, I feel like I feel like Illawarra's third import is better than a lot of other teams' third import though. So I actually think they could weather a wreath leaving because they've still got the two Frolings and Ogilvy. And if Harvey couldn't play, Ratan Mays just moves into the starting five, and they have a Cleveland Ratan Mays backcourt. I actually, I, I think it's a very, very good team. Oh, it's I, a very good team, but I, I just think they're one injury and Duop Reef going to the NBA. Yeah, like, I don't know. I think of any team, I think they could actually weather it. Yeah, fair I do. enough. I, I do. I, Again, time will tell. I disagree. Entirely. Yeah, no, I think, it's I think good not to are, agree on everything. Yeah, and no, I think there's there's potentially something there. We will see, but injuries have to happen first. Now, the other fracas was at the Melbourne Southeast Melbourne Derby, and geez, it was a block party, wasn't it? My God. Yeah, it really was. Seven blocks apiece to Joe Chi for the Phoenix and JLA for the United team. Crikey. Good day to be Joe. It is. was. It was. So we've obviously got to talk about the little incident first. And I say little. Mitch Creek versus Matthew Delavadova and Mason Peatling. So Mitch Creek has thrown down arguably. Oh. I mean, it's certainly going to be dunk of the season. I oh, dare my say. goodness. My and certainly goodness. one of the biggest dunks the league has probably seen. Made US Sports Center. Yeah. Not yeah. surprised. Oh, it was all over Twitter. Like, yeah. Yep. Now, he's proceeded to flex on Delhi while he's on the ground and then yelled at him and then sort of out into the ether. Mason Peatling just lost his fucking mind, though. He's cleaned him up. Another hip and he's done a Sam Kerr. He has. Yep. And what do you know? He got a straight red. I liked it, actually. So Good on him. So there you go. So you you were all in on this one. Well, like, what Creek, you can't just walk over a bloke and stand over him. Like, it's a a bit of a bump. I don't have a problem with it. No. Good on him. I but, have a, I have a problem with it purely situational, because if you look at the fact that it's a five point game, you've just come back. From that's true. You don't want to give up a tech or a, yeah, twenty yeah. points down. Yeah, you're yeah. an important piece in that game. Yeah, yeah. No lead was safe this weekend either. It was a it bizarre wasn't. weekend in that regard too. But you just, yeah. think, I don't know. I just don't think that's the time. I understand. Again, I'm with everyone. I stand by the fact standing that, yes, up for your team. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, no, you're right. There's the situation and the time and and the score. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just fair enough. Like it was a taunting tack on Creek, I thought. Yes, but, it was too much. But yeah, just go and grab him, lock arms, maybe get a tee. He's just too important to get tossed in a five-point game for me. Can I talk about Creek quickly? Yes. So when he was interviewed at halftime, he said his first word and then realised that it's gone through to the stadium. So it's not just the television broadcast. What he's saying is is going through the stadium speakers. So what's his first reaction? Oh, he says shit. <laughs> well done, mate. It's like, oh shit. Oh. And then at halftime of the following game, Nerily Meadows interviewed him about the little bust up. And he said both fuck and shit on a live broadcast in Channel 10 afternoon. Like a bit of decorum, mate. Like so that to me is worse than the fights. You well, can't you can't withhold yourself from swearing when you're on camera on two different occasions. I'm sure someone said to him, mate. Good halftime interview, but maybe don't say shit on camera. Oh, yeah, okay. And then double down and say both fuck and shit during the next halftime of the next game. He's working his way up to Travis Head, isn't he? Oh, what's he doing? Yeah, well, <laughs> and we'll get there. All right. So a couple of things about this game. Absolutely the Joe Chi coming out party. Oh, wow. It's hard so not to love him. You've mentioned the seven blocks. He's had the 10 rebounds and 22 points. I think he really set a lot of the tone for this game in the first play that Southeast Melbourne had. He's, he's blocked out. He's managed to get this offensive rebound, put JLA to the floor, and just threw down this massive two-hander. He also had a pretty big M1 dunk oh, probably three or four minutes later in that game. 
I, I love this guy. I oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I have to say, as much as I'm not a fan of Mitch Creek, the Phoenix are my second team. Interesting. Okay. I just, there's something. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love watching Chi play too. I do. He's, I do. He's got, what he said he, was what he said. He has a problem with language, which yes, is something that clearly, we, we can't yes. really talk well, about. Well, yeah, but we're not live. True. And we and we make we make the concerted choice on our own podcast to swear. It's very different to Ten Peach during an afternoon game in which kids are watching. True. Okay, let's let we've got to talk about the other one. So Dean Vickerman was caught on <laughs> camera. And I, I have a different opinion for this one. Dean Vickerman was caught on camera in the Melbourne Southeast Melbourne game saying, fucking little Kyle Adnam can't defend anyone or whatever it was. I paraphrase a little bit there. I don't actually have a problem with that one. No, absolutely Because not. in the heat of a moment, a coach should be able to say whatever the hell they want. And I don't think it adds a hell of a lot to the broadcast anyway. So, so he should not be reprimanded for that one. No. So I have two very different opinions. An interview to camera is very different to a recorded timeout. He might not have even known the cameras were in there. I'm sure he did, but but no, it's the least of his worries at that point. He's still got to deliver a message. Yeah, well, his team's down and they're they're losing to a team that's out for blood because they choked away a grand final appearance. Mm. So, yeah, he's under pressure. I don't, I don't have any problem with that one. I think for United... This whole season just comes down to hanging in there until Chris Golding yes. comes back. That's... Well, and Jack White too. I think he's important too True. because I don't think Golding's enough. Golding and White together, if everything breaks right, they could make the playoffs. I don't think Golding on his own would get them into the playoffs. They need that other big guy. Look, Delhi was better. Delhi answered his critics, I thought. Agata didn't, but Delhi did. I was interested to hear in the commentary that Agata actually led the league in scoring in the Israeli league. Because he got up that many shots. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, he's not looking like he's going to do it here. But the thing is, I think the Olympic experience for him has actually convinced him that he's a shooter. Maybe. He shot 32% from deep in Israel last season when he led the league in scoring. Yeah. That's kind of more what I think he is. He needs to develop into a slasher. He needs to model his game off what Antonius Cleveland's doing. Well, you got, again, you've got to keep the defense guessing. You can't just launch threes every single possession. You've, mm. got, to, you've got to mix it up. Yeah, I must admit, I actually had him down as a bit of a worry. He, he does worry me a little bit early. It could be that Agata doesn't see out the season. Possible. It's possible. And again, on some teams, he would probably be a really nice fit, but that team needs more scoring. Mm. So, look, he might come good. It's only been a couple of games. Well, I hope so, because I, I liked him in the Olympics. I thought he was brilliant for Nigeria. Oh, he was. Yeah, he was. But yeah, the start of the season. And he's a great defender. Yeah. But they need points on the board. Some guys do just struggle adjusting to the pace, the physicality, all of that. Just sort being of stuff. in a new league. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's well, tough. you've got to develop chemistry with new players. Yeah. But geez, they need Golding back. They really Oh, do. yeah, they do. They do. Now, we probably need to talk about this little misunderstanding. You mentioned the commentators before, the courtside announcer in this case. Yeah, there's, there's still not a hell of a lot of information to have come out about this one. I must admit, I haven't listened to any of the podcasts or all I've done is watch every game but that one that I mentioned. So I don't know what's been circulating in the media. I, I can run you through it. So Melbourne United courtside announcer Wayne Peterson's been stood down for saying that she probably doesn't understand why the crowd cheered when he missed two free throws. Right. That's it. So why what's why is that a problem? As far as I can tell, it's just being misconstrued as being culturally insensitive because... Are they trying to wedge racism into an area I where it's... I think they are. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. It just... I don't... It seems a bit petty to me. It seems like they're just barbing back and forth. It's like kids dobbing on each other in the back of a school classroom. But here's the thing. Chi uses a translator in timeouts. He clearly English is not a strong point, which is fine. 
I'm guessing that Hungry Jacks doesn't give away free burgers in the Chinese league. So the language and Hungry also, Jacks doesn't exist in China. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, so, so really, uh. it's it's a language and a cultural barrier at the same time. So what he said is 100% accurate. Yeah, look, we've spoken out against racism. We will call it out when we think it's there. But I, I do not think this is a case of that. This is a square peg, round hole situation. If the courtside announcer had picked a particular, I don't know, a characteristic or a stereotype yeah, yep, surrounding yep. China and Chinese culture, fair enough. Sure. Different story. Different story. Yeah. But this is just plain fact. English is a second language. He still uses a translator, which, as I said, is absolutely fine. A lot of guys go in the other way when they go to China. Oh, of course. They use English translators. Yeah, yeah. The one for me from this game, Stewie, we're seeing Craig Hutchison, part owner of the Perth Wildcats, sitting courtside at the Melbourne Derby or the throw, is it throwdown? Throwdown, yeah. With his son wearing a United jersey. Now, I know his son is a local Victorian. Of course, he's going to support one of the local teams. Don't have a problem with that. It's a weird look, though, isn't it? It's a weird look. I mean, the whole thing's weird regardless of that. Yeah. Do we even know if he's divested from United shares? No idea. We need to look at that. I don't know. I That was a very, yeah, didn't love that. No, I didn't like it either. Didn't love it. Now, Shui, we're quickly running out of time. So, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to cover everything. A couple of other quick random notes for me. I think Shamir is very conservative with foul trouble. He left Wetzel on the bench twice for too long in both games on the weekend. They lost both. They started very well against Adelaide. They choked it away, in fairness. They're now 0-3. They might have been 1-2 and 2 if he'd let Yanni play a bit more. I think Yanni's been excellent this season. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think Shamir's been far too conservative there. Tarangi's 250th. Hats off to him. Again, though, hasn't started the season superbly well. The other thing I wanted to finish on here with the NBL was the hyphen on hyphen crime. McDowell White dunking on Smith Milner in that New Zealand Southeast yeah. Melbourne game. I tell you what, McDowell White had a great weekend. He was fantastic. I don't think he missed a shot in the first half of the Adelaide match. He was like seven of seven or eight of eight or something. He was really good. So with all their injuries, is the silver lining for the blokes that sit on the pine otherwise, get a few more minutes and have a chance to prove themselves. He has proved himself. And Hugo Basson was super. Hugo, oh yeah, big raps for Hugo Basson. Yeah, I think he's, big raps. he's one that'll be in the NBA field. Oh well. yeah, he was banging down threes like they were going out of fashion. He's, he's got ice in his veins. He does not care. Yeah, you see him running up the uh, draft boards pretty Oh quickly. yeah, yeah, no, no, big fan of him. Uh, the, the thing that sticks out to me with him was a passage of play in the preseason where on one play he had a corner three, and then the very next play, or the play before, I can't remember, he took it to the rack and dunked on someone. Hmm. He's, yeah, he's a very impressive young player. He is. So, now if we move on to the NBA, I think we were hoping to report this week that Steph Curry had passed Ray Allen for most regular season three-pointers. He's now one behind Allen, and in all likelihood, we'll break that tomorrow morning at Madison Square Garden. It's pretty cool Reggie Miller will actually be calling that game. Ah, yes, so yes. So, he'll get to pass the guy who passed him. I do worry very quickly, and it has actually come out just this afternoon, funnily enough, that Steve Kerr said the same thing. I think the weight of expectations on this record is absolutely messing with the Warriors right now, and I'm sure they cannot wait for it to be done. Steph Curry is 30% from three in his last three games, 10% lower than his season average. The focus on it is impacting the team. They've lost games they shouldn't have. They struggled to beat Indiana today. It's been a grind. It's just weird. I find the whole thing weird. There's people on Twitter bashing Ray Allen's legacy, like this downgrades him somehow. The game's changed. Mm. There's more three-pointers being shot. It was bound to happen. It doesn't make Ray Allen any less of a player. The whole thing is, like, great. Hats off to Steph. He's incredible. He's amazing. It was always going to happen. 
but he's taken 46 threes in the last three games. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. very different game. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You're spot on there. That, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. But we'll talk more about him next week, I'm sure, once the record is his. Yes, I'm, ty- I'm sure that at time of upload, this has probably already happened. Null and but, void, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, not null and void, but just... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Now we're going to move on to the Chicago Bulls. They finally had the first postponement of the season and it has impacted the Bulls. Well, it had to because they were missing 10 players. So let me run you through a list of some of these guys. So Elise Johnson joined the list just today. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Troy Brown Jr., Kobe White, Javante Green, Matt Thomas, Derek Jones Jr., Ayo Desunmu and Stanley Johnson. They'd almost have to call up their entire G League team just to field a squad. Yeah. Thank God Wiser heads prevailed here because there was no no other option so they've had their next two games postponed which it's funny it's been that long since it's happened we've almost forgotten that this is a thing that did happen in last season and the season before look the league has come out and said that they wanted to absolutely use it as a last resort but desperate times call for desperate measures clearly 10 is a big number so i believe they've got about a week off now yes yep and it's also worth noting that this week the league announced that any unvaccinated player with a temporary visa status leaving the country will be unable to re-enter the US. For example, a trip to Toronto. Yes, indeed, Canada. Or, I don't know, a trip to the Bahamas over All-Star Weekend. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, the Caribbean. As yeah, of yeah. the 15th of January. Yep. So teams have got basically a month to get their shit in order, get everyone vaccinated, otherwise they're going to be problems. Well. Sticking with the Chicago Bulls, the Bulls and Miami Heat have officially been sanctioned by the league for off-season tampering. Yes, yes. Well, and actually this was something that came up last week, but we didn't have time, but we do need to acknowledge it. It's honestly a disgrace, though. So the league talked about cracking down on tampering. This is sort of where teams discuss trades before the trade season officially opens. And then they make trades 30 seconds into the trade period miraculously. Well, I remember hearing John Hollinger on a podcast. I can't remember what it was because it was several months ago, basically saying that when he worked for the Grizzlies, if you didn't do this groundwork, and yes, it was tampering, but if you didn't do the groundwork, you would never make a trade. Hmm. So it was either be left behind or do what everyone else is to keep up with the Joneses. Especially in a small market like Memphis. Exactly. Exactly. So Chicago lured Lonzo Ball across. Miami did the same with Kyle Lowry. It obviously begs the question of how a team could sign a player to a contract he needs to understand and then execute a trade within a couple of minutes. Well, and there was that one with the Bucks and one of the Bogdanovich brothers. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. But as I said, the league were talking about cracking down on this and they've responded by stripping both teams of their next available second round pick. Whoopty fucking do. Yeah, it's not a massive... I mean, to me, the bigger problem is that it's just... It's almost like selective justice because every team's doing it. Mm. So why... I don't know. I mean, maybe there's more evidence here, but it, it seems like these two teams have been singled out a little bit. They but have. yes, the second round pick, okay, you know. So here's the second round players of any note this season. Herb Jones, who's been excellent for the Pelicans. Ayo Desunmu, likewise for Chicago. That's pretty much it. There have been a couple of guys. James Robinson Earl has been good for the Thunder. Yeah, I'll, I don't know. It's it's hard to judge a second-round pick in one season. It's often draft, oh, of and, draft and stash guys. Look, Travers might end up being a second-round pick. So, yeah. But yeah. would you rather trade the chance of picking up one of those guys for getting Lonzo Ball or Cole? Oh, of course. Or... These teams will, will, will not... They wouldn't even blink at that. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to be disappointed in their decisions, will they? Even the next first round for those two teams, because those two teams are expecting to be pushing for... Well, they're not lottery. They're, well, they're expecting conference finals. So yeah. you're talking about a, a pick in the 20s or late teens. Yep. Again, 
Kyle Lowry, Alonzo Ball. Probably you would 20s. Take, you would take yeah. them any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. So yep. I think the NBA's really missed It's a weird. Here. That whole thing is a bit weird, yeah. Speaking of weird, Zion Williamson now shut down for the foreseeable future after a setback in his rehab. Seeing him, seeing that footage, and Cody talked about it too when we talked about about this with him a few weeks ago. He just he looked like Oliver Miller, so I'm not at all surprised. Why don't they just shut him down for the season? Well, they may need to eventually. He's got to just go away, get into some kind of semblance of shape, focus on getting in the gym, work on the jump shot, work on your conditioning, get down to like 270, 280-ish by next season. Well, they're not making the playoffs. No. I I don't know. It's tricky, isn't it? Because young guys want to play and you don't want to waste kind of youth. But All he's going to do at 330 pounds is do further damage. It's just... I've said all along he was too big and it was only going to cause problems with his legs and knees. And sure enough, yep. So, Nath, a couple of things to round out basketball. Stat of the week. Okay. Hannah Cohn playing for Haggerty High School in Oviedo, Florida against Lyman High School... Went 19 for 23 yes. from three-point range <laughs> as part of a 61-point game. She's broken the record for the most threes in a game, which was previously 17. Which is crazy enough. Which is nuts, yeah. I've seen the highlights. It took until the 10th three before anyone got a hand up on her. But one comment I read on YouTube sums it up perfectly. B Serg 21. I don't give a rip if she had no D on her. I couldn't make 19 threes if you gave me the ball every possession. Yeah, well, hey, it's a good point. It would take a while. It's a good point. My one, Stewie, well, it's not a stat so much as a highlight. So Ron Harper Jr., the son of former Bulls and Lakers championship winner Ron Harper, one of my favourite players for the Bulls back in the day, actually, hit a three for Rutgers to upset Purdue. It was from half court. Not Will Purdue. No, (laughs) not Will Purdue. Not Will Purdue. The college Purdue. Very, very Very impressive game winner. Yeah, very cool. And I'm going to round it out with my new favourite nickname. So Josh Giddy continues to have a solid rookie season despite some up and down shooting. Oh, Seventh in rookie solid's scoring. Solid's an understatement. Third in rebounds, first in assists, eight in steals, fifth in blocks. Borderline all rookie first team. Oh, absolutely. Probably fighting with Jalen Suggs or Chris Duarte for that. But anyway, how's his nickname? Gosh, did he? <laughs> because of all the amazing plays he makes. I uh, love it. Yeah, no, it's it rolls off the tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, this week in sport history. December 14th, 1988, the Miami Heat playing in their inaugural season win their first game ever after a 17-game losing streak to start the franchise's history. They would win the game 89-88 over the LA Clippers after Norm Nixon's shot at the buzzer drew front iron. They also had a 10-game losing streak and a couple of sevens that season, so it's no surprise they finished 15-67, easily the worst record in the NBA. And no real surprise when you consider that their roster was Ronnie Cycli, Kevin Edwards, Grant Long, Rory Sparrow, and not much else. Mm. I'm surprised Norm Nixon was still playing. Yeah, it was right towards the end. Yeah, there you go. Mm. There you go. But you should have seen the Heat players celebrating like they just won the championship. It was absolutely brilliant to watch. Now, Miami has turned it around fairly massively since then. And of the 30 teams currently, they actually sit ninth overall in win-loss percentage of all time. Yeah. So doing well. Now... I've got three things, Nate, that I intentionally omitted from the email that I sent you. Yeah, go on. All right. Here we go. Here's something I bet you didn't know. In their first season, the Miami Heat, who play in Miami, were in the Western Conference. (laughs) I think I have. I feel like that has rung bells, but that's ridiculous. They were in the Midwest division. That's ridiculous. So imagine the extra amount of miles they would have flown playing all those Western Conference teams. 
That's that's unfair. Isn't it bizarre? That is unfair. Just for the one season, though. Wow. Absolutely nuts. Wow. On top of that, I've got a couple of interesting facts around the players. The LA Clippers team had one Robert Rose on their roster that oh, season. Oh, really? Robert Rose. Wow. He didn't play that night, but he was on their roster. There you go. Speaking of guys that were on rosters but didn't play that night. Scott Roth. No, close, actually. I do know that he, I can't remember who he played for. The Miami Heat team used the expansion draft that season to steal away from the Sacramento Kings, the future greatest coach of all time, Connor Henry. <laughs> Shout out to Andrew from the Pocket Connor Podcast. Connor Henry. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah, he didn't play. Yeah, well. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, that's magnificent. Hmm. Uh, by the way, after losing 17 on the trot, I reckon you would celebrate like you won the championship. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're flying over West every... Like, yeah. that's fucked, man. <laughs> Isn't it just? I wonder what the rationale was. Like, oh, we'll grant you a license, but only if you play in the West. Like, what the hell? The, we need to look into this more. There was none because both conferences had 12 teams the season before. Wow. So they were the 13th team in the Western Conference. That is bizarre. Isn't it just? December 16th, 1892, day one of the first ever Sheffield Shield cricket game between South Australia and New South Wales. South Australia had to follow on despite only trailing by 125 runs. John Lyons made 124 in less than two hours for the New South Welshman, offsetting the 13 wickets Michael Pearce took for the match. George Giffen took 12 wickets himself for the South Aussies as they rolled New South Wales for 148 in the fourth inning to win by 57 runs. In 1922, the same two teams played on almost identical dates with a slightly different outcome. New South Wales would make 786 and win by an innings and 310 runs behind centuries to Johnny Taylor, Alan Kippax, Hunter Henry and Burt Oldfield. Incredibly, though, this is still 321 runs short of the record for the biggest Sheffield Shield win set by Victoria in 1926 when they made an astonishing 1,107 runs, beating New South Wales by an innings and 656 runs. In this one, Bill Ponsford made 352. There's a reason they have a stand named after him. And Jack Ryder had a more than tidy 295. There's a reason they don't have a stand named after him. <laughs> New South Wales' first wicket partnership was 375 runs, which was then followed by a second wicket partnership of 219. Hell, even the 10th wicket produced... 61 runs. Arthur Maley was the pick of the bowlers for New South Wales with figures of four for 362 of 64 overs. Quality. <laughs> December 16th, 1923, in the National Football League Championship, the undefeated Canton Bulldogs would repeat as champions. We say they were undefeated. They did actually finish 11 wins and one draw, but tied games weren't recognised in the standings until 1972. And, well, a draw is not a loss. But some odd things about this season. Firstly, some more amazing names. We love the names. <laughs> the Oorang Indians. The Louisville Brecks. What's a Breck? No idea. Okay. The Rochester Jeffersons and the Hammond Pros. And the Akron Pros. <laughs> so the Pros were basically the 1923 equivalent of the Wildcats. Or anything to do with King in the IPL. Yes. <laughs> Who are we? The Pros. Who are we going to beat? The, the Super Kings. The oh. pros. <laughs> now, another really odd thing about that season. I mentioned already that Canton were 11 wins and one draw, so they played 12 games. The Jeffersons finished in last place with an 0-4 record. They had a lot of draws? No. no. They played four games. Oh, okay. And the Brecks finished second last with an 0-3 record. 
Right. So they didn't actually play even close to the same amount of games. Five teams played 12 games, but one team played 11, three teams played 10, another team played nine, three played eight, five played seven, and then the Jeffersons and the Brecks with four and three. The reason was, back in the 1920s, scheduling was left up to the teams entirely. Ah, okay. So basically, if they couldn't be bothered playing, they just didn't. Yeah, wow. Just as random as that, though, was the fact that there was a $100 entry fee for new franchises to join the league, but no one ever paid it. (laughs) By the way, this would explain why the Hall of Fame's in Canton. Yes. So there you go. Interesting. Very good side. Yeah, well, apparently so. December 19th, 1983, the original FIFA World Cup trophy, also known as the Jules Rimet trophy, is stolen from the headquarters of the Brazilian Football Confederation in Rio de Janeiro. A security guard on duty that night was overpowered by a group of men who took the trophy by removing the back of a display cabinet with a crowbar. Funnily enough, there was an actual replica of the trophy in the building, but this was being secured in a coffer at the time. There was suspicion that it might have been an inside job, but no one has ever been charged for the theft, and it's presumed that the trophy was melted down and sold off. Though this would have been difficult since the original trophy was actually made of silver and just coated with gold. Amazingly, this isn't the first time someone has tried to steal the trophy. During World War II, the trophy was being held in a local bank in Italy, but in his infinite wisdom, Italian Football Federation President Ottorino Barassi smuggled the trophy out of the bank with hopes of keeping it safe in his apartment because he didn't trust the bank's security. What do you know? But the Nazis actually followed him and searched the premises, fortunately not finding it, thanks to his genius hiding place, a shoebox under his bed. (laughs) (laughs) May as well have stored it in the mattress. Probably checked in the walls and under yeah, the floorboards. <laughs> Don't go check the shoebox. In 1954, the trophy was moved to West Germany after they beat Switzerland in the finals. It was kept in Frankfurt until four years later, and it said that the trophy that went to Sweden, who were hosting the 1958 finals, wasn't actually the same trophy due to an altered base and it being measured five centimetres taller. The trophy was stolen again, this time from the Westminster Central Hall in England in 1966. A ransom was sent but never paid, and incredibly, the trophy was found wrapped in a newspaper outside the front garden of our house in Upper Norwood in the south of London by a dog. There is still no explanation for how it got there. Somewhat ironically, though, a brain to bell of the Brazilian Football Confederation proclaimed, it would never have happened in Brazil. Even Brazilian thieves love football and would never commit this sacrilege. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt because the thieves were never caught, but I'm not so sure. Yeah, whoops. (laughs) This week in sport history. So, Shui, the Gabba test is in the books and, well, it was some great head followed by a good root. And that was after... Ah, from the title! (laughs) And that's after Camo took a five-fuck in his captaincy debut. Not to mention the started Penis McGee. (laughs) Well, Travis Head saying the C word in the stunt like. Yes, well... We'll get there. Where do we start? I mean, no broader Anderson. Maybe that's where we start before the ball was bowled. Well, we'll start off with the result. Well, yes. Okay. Congratulations to Australia. Weird, weird up and down. Australia 425 and 1 for 20, defeat England 147 and 197. Yes. Pretty yes. damn comfortable. Yes, it was. It was. It was looking like it might have been a bit of a fight back, but then Nathan Lyon took his 400th wicket and it all turned to shit for the Poms. They collapsed in spectacular fashion. It's well, got to be spectacular set. if you're Australian anyway. Well, yes. But Yes, you're right. We should probably talk about the very late withdrawal of Stuart Broad. We obviously knew that Anderson wasn't going to play, but Broad, that is 
Jesus, a misstep. Well, considering he's basically owned Davey Warner for years. Yeah, he's David Warner's dad. Basically. Yeah, basically. He basically is. So even though, okay, maybe he's not an ideal Gabba bowler, but should have played one out of the two, surely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy. Probably a good toss to lose, though, as it turned out. Yeah. Yep. Bit of weather around and... Yep. The, well, because the old adage always is... Bat. You're bad. Yeah. You win the toss, you think about it, you're bad. Yeah. And who knows? Would have potentially been a very, very different story. And obviously the first ball of the series... Starkey, very, very vicious in-swinger, takes out leg stump from Rory Burns. Rory Burns did not have a good match. No. He was all over the place, though, with his footwork, though, I thought. And by the way, Warney, yes, it did swing. When, when is he ever not well, all okay, over yeah, the place yeah, with this? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I find Rory Burns to be one of, and I know that it's Rich saying this because we have Steve Smith, but I find him one of the most awkward-looking batsmen to, to watch. He looks like he doesn't know where the ball's coming from. He does that little weird hitch with his face. He's no Babarazam. It's it's just a thing of ugly. And that that just continued, didn't it? Because they were like, what, four or five for very little. Four for 30 on it. Yeah, yeah, very little. And it just, it did. It just seemed like it was one after another, edge gone, edge gone, just over and over again. So just a a really poor batting performance in that first dig. And by the way, I do have a stat here. It was the first time ever that the first ball has yielded a wicket in an Ashes since 1936. Mm. So good little record there for Starkey. Well, it is just the fourth time a wicket's fallen off the first ball of an Ashes test. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Wow, 36. That was yeah, a long, long, a time, long ago. time ago. A long time ago. So, I mean, I guess we could sit here and outline everything that happened in the match, but I think it's probably best to look at it and say, right, what are the positives? What are the negatives for each of the teams? And obviously for Australia, there's quite a few positives, but there's probably... Well, Michael Clark was ready to give the ashes to the Aussies after day one. Oh, the whole series. Oh, it's so funny, the hype and overreaction. one game. Oh, like, and, and even in the combox I heard on the ABC Grandstand coverage, they were like, oh, this won't go to a day four. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, it, there's a decent chance. Of, and okay, it didn't last much into day four, but still, England are not chopped liver. Okay, this isn't their best team ever, but it's also not Namibia. Like, you know. Shout out to David Weiser, by the way. <laughs> so, look, as I said, a lot of positives for the Australians. We can probably pick four, I think, that are probably the main ones. Obviously, we've got to start with the blatantly obvious one. Travis Head. Yes, magnificent. I know a lot of people who didn't think he should have played. Oh, look, I... I <laughs> Looking at you, Nathan. No, I, I was... Well, I, didn't you want Kawaja over him too? Or... No, I wanted Kawaja over Harris. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I had Kawaja. Absolutely. Yep. What a knock, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, 152 off 148. This game was kind of not so much in the balance, but at that point where Head came in, there were a couple of wickets that had dropped. Cameron, oh, yes. Mitty was out pretty cheap. Cam- yeah. Cameron Green out. Cameron first, Green was out. Oh, first ball leaving. watching one. Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, you look at it, you think if they can get Travis Head for oh, yeah. 10, 15. Yeah, game on. It's very much game on. Yeah, yeah. And he had that ton in, what, 85? odd balls I think 85 balls exactly yeah and it was like one of the like I want to say the third third fastest joint ever or ashes ashes. incredible incredible well it's even more incredible when you consider he was six off 18 at one stage yes I know so to put the foot down in that situation and if you look at his wagon wheel as well he's a left-hander so you obviously you know he's going to be strong leg side that's just as a left-hander that's what we do but he had every part of that wheel lit up I remember seeing that actually on on quick info when I was at work yeah I was very balanced scoring on the wagon so surprised scoring everywhere scoring in different fashions well and truly some credits in the back for him after that one. By yeah, the so. way, Manus had a very good knock too. 74, I think it was. About 74, yeah. Those two blokes have played some red ball cricket lately. Mm. Is it any surprise that two of the best players in the match actually had a bit of preparation? 
Because so many players had poor preparation, either playing in the World T20, there was really bad weather in Brizzy, so they didn't get to practice much. I don't think there's any surprise that the guys with some shield prep played well. Did pretty well. Yeah. Now, second positive, Cam Green. I know, golden dark, yeah, yeah, whatever. Nobody bowled well. For a guy without a single test wicket to take the biggest wicket of the match for Australia, getting Joe Root in that second innings, after he and Dawid Milan had... Oh, put on a very good... ...really started wrestling some momentum. Oh, yeah. Big partnership. Green was also the most economical bowler for Australia in both digs. And on top of that, his fielding in the cover region is an absolute thing. He's a great fielder. He can play in the slips. He is a very, very good fielder. It seems that Cummins might actually trust him a little bit more with the ball than Payne did. Because Payne didn't throw him the ball much. Yeah, he does. And then that becomes a concern. If they overbowl him, does that start impacting his batting? But Oh, well, he's an all-rounder. He's there to do a bit of both. So it's good to see him get some overs and good to see him pick up wickets. Yep. Yep. I thought he was magnificent, even with, obviously, one of the worst leaves you could probably Oh, look, you, these things happen, you know. You wish you had that one back. You can have a brain fade in one ball. But it set the and scene. And look, it wasn't the worst delivery of all time either. Like It was a great delivery. Yeah, so, it, you know. But it set the scene for Travis Head, so. Well, exactly. Perfect. Great, yeah. great team player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Pat Cummins. He's another huge positive. How well did he bowl in his first match as captain? Oh, he's he's number one test-ranked bowler for a reason, let's face it. So seven wickets for the match, used his resources really well, kept guys up at all times, even when, you know, potentially you start getting really frustrated. Oh, God, Root and Motlan, they're putting on this huge partnership. Just got to be patient. And he stuck to his plans. He he kept the bowlers rotating, eventually found the edge, and obviously off we go from there. Absolutely. And look at that, one and a half wins away from retaining the Ashes already. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) It's true. And I do want to also finish with Alex Carey. A little bit disappointing in the batting side of things, but brilliant match behind the stumps. Tied the record for most dismissals on debut with eight. Rock solid. Already feels like an improvement from Tim Payne. The other positive is that couple that got married. Did you see that? (laughs) Or got engaged, I should say, not married. (laughs) There's still time. (laughs) But uh, she sobers up. Yeah. (laughs) The Aussie lass and the English bloke, a bit of Romeo and Juliet going on there. Yeah, Yeah. that was nice to see. And then sculling the uh, the beer. Yeah, of (laughs) course. Of course. Yeah, so, you know. Great head, good route, and then a proposal. Now, we've got to talk about the negatives. A couple of negatives. The negatives, well, injuries. Injury. And it was weird. So there's a lot of foxing going on too. So Hazelwood, they're like, oh, yeah, nah, we're just not bowling him. We're just resting him. Like, yeah, uh, not playing in the next test. Cough. Bullshit. Yes, exactly. Yes. So that was clearly wrong. So I guess the obvious question then with Hazelwood not playing, Joe Richardson or Michael Neeser? I'll be happy with either, to be honest. I mean, Richardson has a little bit of experience at test level. I think there's a lot of talk that Neeser is a more like-for-like replacement the way that he moves the ball. Yes, yeah. I think it was disappointing that Richardson didn't get a bowl in the tour match because he was 12th man. So mm-hmm. he didn't get... I, I would have I would have played an expert fielder as the 12th man and then had those blokes bowling so you could get a look at him. I'm going to make a case for Jai Richardson. Michael Neeser was born in South Africa. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah. the entire case. <laughs> Uh, yes, given we throw stones at England. Yes, exactly. Of, yes, <laughs> we to explain. Want, we, we don't want to put... We don't a, have anything against South Africans. We don't want to build a glass house around yes, ourselves. Yes. No, look, it's... Uh, I think either option is great. Nisa has been superb for probably the last five or six years. Probably deserves more than anyone a test. Oh, yeah. These blokes that toil in the shield for years and years, they mm. do deserve a call-up. They do. And Pattinson, of course, retired recently. Yeah. So he might have been front of the line otherwise. Now, the other negative for Australia is the continuing struggles of the opening partnership. Harris is in big trouble. 
It looks that way. And yeah. look, we won't know what he would have done in the second innings, but if you look at this, Australia's last 12 innings against England have not seen an opening partnership above 18. Yeah, that's poor. And an average of 9.25. Well, he's got the lowest average of any player ever to have batted in at least 20 innings or something. Opening. That's not good. So I had time for him last week and I do still have time for him, but... You can only, uh, maybe one more match. I think he'll maybe retain his spot because Warner might not play. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That works in his favour, yeah. But then yeah. Who, who comes in to replace him? Kawaja? I think so. Who is probably under even more pressure. Yeah, yeah. I just The other name that's being thrown around is Bryce Street. He had a, a really, really solid match against the Lions the other day. So runs on the board could potentially. Yeah, I mean, Kawaja yep. had a couple of very subpar innings in that. I think he was out for under 10 in both innings. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So there is a possibility that Street could be a bolter and make his, uh, his debut. Who knows? Now, there's some positives to take out of this for England. I know a lot of people would look at it and go, hmm, how can you take a positive out of that match? We've already mentioned the first one, Anderson and Broad. Huge, huge inclusions. Oh, yeah, of course. You're talking about third all-time on the wickets list in Anderson, sixth all-time in Broad. He's nearly 100 wickets ahead of the next best active bowler, which is Ravi Ashman. I mean, what a boost to have two legitimate wicket-taking strike bowlers for a side that really was probably lucky to hold Australia to 425. Brody will be disappointed that Warner's not playing. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. But this made even less sense when you saw that both of them were bowling at full tilt in the nets at the Gabba. Yeah. I, I just, I don't understand. I could understand resting one, but leaving them both out was always a bit curious. Mm. And look, Ollie Robinson was okay, but then he got a bit injured too. So, yeah. Well, this is it. Another positive, Joe Root and David Milan. We've already talked about the partnership. Milan seems to like Australia. He does. Yeah. Had a great knock here in Perth one year. So, yeah, look, they threatened, as we said, to drag England back into it. Everything that England did wrong in the first innings, playing up balls they didn't need to, Root and Milan did the exact opposite in the second until such time they got out. Yes. Well. They were patient. They waited. They took the bad balls and they put them away. It's it's simple, mature test batting that players like Rory Burns, and to a lesser extent, I guess, Hasib Hamid, who was okay for 25 in both of his innings, but still needs a little bit more patience. So there's, there's guys that can probably watch what these guys did and kind of learn a little bit. And I've got one more positive for England. It's only one game. Yes. I know it's a, a very cliche thing to say. But everyone remembers Australia holding India to 36 in an innings last summer and everyone laughing that that series was over. How did that one end up? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm not sure that this is like for like as far as teams oh, are concerned. Not, it's not. But they'll, they'll have hope. And and the fact that Root and Milan dug in a little bit gives them a bit of hope too. So there are a few things. There's some pretty big negatives too. You want to move on to them? Absolutely. Where do you start? Rory Burns or Jack Leach? <laughs> they're they're both problematic. I think Leach is probably the bigger one. Yeah, yeah. So one for 102, economy rate of 7.84. He's been labelled as unselectable. That is, oh, that is a harsh word. Well, I'll tell you what. If if you're dropping your spinner after one test, they already have major problems with overrates. You're going to play four quicks. We'll have to talk about that in a sec too. Well, this is the thing though. Like he's a shit house with the ball as Daniel Vittori, but at least Vittori averaged thirty with the bat. <laughs> so you can throw him into a test, hope that someone will play around the fifth over pitch straight ball of an over and get bowled. <laughs> But at, uh, least, but at least Vittori... Vittori trope. But Vittori will score runs. <laughs> Whereas if you take the 92 out that he made against Ireland, Jack Leach averages 9.6 with the bat, which is... And it was Ireland. By no means Chris Martin, but it's not Brian Lara either. He just gives England nothing. So I just... I don't know that you can pick him. 
I think Joe Root needs to become the frontline spin bowler. Well, is Moan Ali in the touring squad? He could roll the arm over. I think he's retired. Yeah, he? I think you're right, actually. I think he has retired from so, Yeah, 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 yeah. No, trouble. And then, yeah, as you say, Rory Burns is certainly the other big issue. Oh, he dropped a few catches. It was the first time ever he didn't face the first ball in the second innings because he was... So they're in his head. Yep. He spooked. Like, first time ever mm. is my understanding. So some some partnerships will alternate. I'm trying to think. I think Langer and Hados used to they alternate a little. They would, yeah. Some partnerships will stick. One will face always. One will be in the non-striker always. He always faces. That is a big psychological win to the Aussies. Big. Yeah, that, uh, that king pair... Certainly is enough to spook a lot of people. Yeah, well, I think he just wanted to have a couple of ciders before yeah, he, before he sort of got in. It's but, interesting, but uh, yeah, you also mentioned Ben Stokes. I mean, how easy that could have been a whole different story. Well, so there were two issues with Stokes. He went there. There's the injury that that happened when he was chasing an outfield ball, but apparently he bowled 14 no balls that were uncalled, and the only reason they did pip him is because he happened to pick seemingly pick up the wicket of Davy Warner. But on replay, turned out he was overstepping. He does that a lot, though. He does that a lot. And there was a lot of talk in the previous Asher series that there were a ton of no balls that weren't being called. Well, all four deliveries in that over prior to the seeming dismissal were oversteps. Mm. So how much of this is on the umpires? Okay, if the technology is not there, it was something the umpires used to do on field. They are capable of looking at a bloke's front foot. Just have the third umpire call it. But, like, how, how much of it's... Stokesy's fault and how much of it is the umpire's fault because if you're not getting called for them you might think you're delivering them legally do you know what I mean so you're getting this false sense of security mm. I mean I'm not I certainly wouldn't put it all on the umpire but they have to take a little bit of response you've got to call them that's 15 extra yeah. runs uh, look I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the third umpire does three-fifths of bugger all all day yeah so why not have them checking that front foot every time so it just makes sense yep. and then I guess the other thing is playing for free what a negative for England playing for free. They go out and get their absolute asses handed to them, and then they get told that they're not getting paid for it because, well, they maintained a slow over rate, which you just mentioned before. Well, there was one day where they were, what, 14-odd overs behind? Hmm. I mean, that's that's over an hour's play. People are paying good money to see these matches. But that makes the like, whole Jack Leach thing even worse. Oh, big time. Big time. Because big if, time. if you have to leave him out, then... As you said, it's how more, do you race through overs? It's more yeah, yeah. for the the seamers. They might have to find a part timer, maybe someone. Joe Root, can... I think you're right. I think Joe Root will be bowling. I think just Milan bowls. I was about to say Milan's yeah. probably one who can trundle in and do little. Yeah, yeah. So, oh look, I've mentioned this a number of times with the T20 cricket matches are going too long, or in this case, time is being lost, never to return. They're getting complacent. I don't like it. I, look, if this was Australia, I'd say same thing. Find them. I don't have a problem with this. Mm. They need to fix this. It's not good for the game. And imagine how good Travis Head's feeling. He drops the C-bomb and only loses 15% of his fee. Yeah. Again, I don't like this one either because I I distinguish between an interview and something that happens on field. I don't think they need this stump, Mike. Like, what is is the... Well, you can bring it up and down. Like, it helps with nicks. So it it can come in handy if if a bloke maybe nicks off, but you're in the middle of the, you battle. don't, I mean, I like, I like the technology and I like the idea of it, but you can use it sparingly. Hmm. And by the way, they've done experiments where people that swear can withhold pain for longer periods than people that don't swear. So they did an experiment where people would plunge their hand into really icy cold water. And those that were allowed to swear could keep their hand underwater for a long time. I think it's a similar thing with sport. 
blowing off a bit of steam by swearing or something after missing a shot or whatever it might be. Allows you to keep your hand allows you to, cold water. Exactly, yeah. Allows you to keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, when drinks comes, you can leave your hand in the drinks for long. No, but, but like, I, I think it's rough. I think it's a bit rough. Oh, I mean, I don't honestly believe that there's any reason to have that stunt, Mike. I know you're saying the Knicks are kind of a cool thing, but, I mean... Not the New York Knicks. But yeah, but I don't think it's really that big a deal. I think turn it off and there you go. There's your problem solved. A guy's in the middle of... You know, they call it a test match. Yes. It's a test out there. He's yes. really, really struggling to Five get days. through. Yeah. And every ball is important. So if he misses one and he happens to drop the C bomb, well, yep. it's on you guys. It's rough. One last thing for me while I get on my rocking chair and say, get off my lawn. Queensland police tweeted Queensland police are launching an investigation into a group impersonating a test batting order at the Gabba. See, that's been done to death. That's I, but time. I. Solve some fucking crimes. Yeah. Like, I hate this shit. But also, get your own material. That tweet's been done a thousand times. But, but no, cops should not be tweeting. Like, I talked about a case earlier on, I think, one of our really early episodes where, I think it was in England, a police force tweeted a picture of someone in a public place. It was a celebrity. And it's just, it's misusing the account. That's not that, what it's there for. David Schwimmer. Was it? Oh, was it not a sports person? Okay, maybe. I can't remember. David Schwimmer. But like, it's this is not what your account is for. You're not fucking comedians. Well, they're clearly not because they don't have well, material. Yeah, just keep revenue raising with people speeding and shit. Just, right, no, right, I don't right, like right, it. All right, calm down. I don't now. like it. So, alas, we are out of time, Nathan. We can't, Always, we we always can't really talk about the BBL. No. Just very quickly, a couple of massive highlights this week. Though. Yeah, Mitch Marsh tonight, just before we recorded. So, 100 off 60 for Mitch Marsh. <laughs> 113 off 74 for Colin Munro in the previous match. Yeah, Scorchers 3-0. He's out for a second ball buck tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. But uh has to be said, the biggest highlight, Jake Fraser-McGurk's one-hand oh, the boundary. Oh, catch. The catch. How unbelievable the catch Very is that. Very impressive. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, though. I said it last week and I'll say it again. It is hard to watch a lot of the BBL. The matches are going way too late into the night. They're on every night. There's double headers. That Perth one, like on a Wednesday night, went to nearly 11 o'clock. It's just... What, you expect kids to go to this? Yeah, it is hard. Yeah. But having said that, if you take it as it is, a couple of teams have scored 213. The Scorchers had 195 in the last match and 182 today. I know, and I must admit, after saying I didn't give a shit, I did watch more of it than I thought I would last week. But there's, there's been some huge scores. I mean, Matthew Wade, I think he had the second far, well, the second earliest 50 in terms of the stage in the match. Right. 3.5 overs in. Wow. There was one stage the other night. He was 71 off 32 and Darcy Short sitting at the other end, 6 off 10. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. So there, there has been some pretty cool stuff. Andre Russell coming back is great for the game as well. So there's a lot of really, really cool stuff going on. I think we will hopefully get into it a little bit more yeah, as, maybe. as time goes yeah, by. We'll highlight the great, the great efforts, I yeah. think. But uh, yeah. But I dare say, I think that's our time. I do too. I, I, I'll finish with the fact that the Sydney Thunder absolutely choked on Friday. So I saw the end of that match. Not good. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Oh, all right, Stu, you know what that music means. What are you at for? Well, I usually leave the obvious one to you, but it's got to be the day-nighter in Adelaide, the second test in the Ashes. Yes, indeed. Will Broad and Anderson be the difference for England? Time will tell. And it probably would have started by the time we've uploaded this episode too. Possibly. So. 
in the NBL, pretty keen to see a bit more of Sydney and Melbourne United on Thursday. Keen to see how those guys bounce back after a couple of losses. And definitely keen to watch Steph Curry set the three-point record tomorrow morning. How about yourself, mate? Well, I'm looking forward to recording next week's episode, Shui. It'll be our special Christmas episode. And as we do every time, we'll be giving out some presents. But until then, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.